0: Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group. I'm joined today by John Grimm, who is a Senior Manager for the Investigative Response Team at Verizon Enterprise Solutions. John's been intimately involved for quite some time working on the fairly infamous Data Breach Investigations Report that's, I think, 12 years in existence at this point. What I wanted to do is ask John about some of the most recent findings of that. But um, Well, first of all, welcome, John. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you very much, Nick. It's good to be here on
0: your call. So, as, as I said, I mean, you've the report's been running 12 years. Uh, you've worked on it for, I think you said, 10 of those, either directly or indirectly. So what, what kind of changes have you seen over time in terms of the results of the, the research?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I've been
0: on the team for almost 10 years now, and I've
1: seen uh, the DVR from almost its earliest days. As you indicated, it's 12 years. So in terms of changes, uh, first off, my role with uh, the DVIR has changed. Uh, in the early days, it was much simpler. Uh, the investigators were, were direct contributors in terms of um, doing the analysis of the report. But things have gotten much more complex, much more complicated over the years. And my contributions to DBIRs is through the caseload that I do on a yearly basis. Uh, as you know, uh, or as, you, as you've probably seen in terms of um, the contributors, this year there's 73 different contributors. Day one of the first DBIR was just pretty much the Verizon Investigative Response Team. So it's gotten much more participation from many different contributors globally, uh, from many different industries, everything from law enforcement to CERT teams to uh, other uh, organizations, very similar to uh, the Verizon Investigative
0: Response Team. So John, the 2019 DBIR report is just out. So. What were surprising results to you from this year's data?
1: That's a good question. I
0: think uh, in looking at this year's data, I would have to
1: say that probably the biggest surprise is seeing that executives or C-level folks were 12 times more likely to be compromised uh, via social incidents. And in the same uh, regard, we're seeing that human resources folks, uh, which was a big thing last year, being less targeted this year in terms of social engineering. And I think um, to expand on that, I, I think probably what we're seeing here for the C-level folks is uh, these folks um, are the people that approve transactions, for example, for business email compromises. They're very busy, so they may not be paying attention to uh, you know, their emails and, and what they're approving. And they may also not be as tech savvy as, as some of the other folks that have been targeted in the past. So they may uh, not realize that uh, um, they're um, answering a socially engineered email terms of what they're doing. We're also seeing, in terms of social engineering, uh, targeting uh, of folks uh, in general, right? The social engineering taking advantage of the human element, people not paying attention, perhaps not being trained to be aware of social engineered emails. What we're seeing is folks are are looking at their emails uh, on mobile devices and tending to click uh, more so on those mobile devices than they would uh, if they were sitting uh, behind the desktop at work, uh, examining the email before they go ahead and react to it. So we're seeing a uh, social engineering c level folks, um, as well as uh, folks in general that are using mobile devices uh, and clicking a little bit more often uh, than if they were behind their computer system. So that's probably one of the things that we see that was probably the, the biggest surprise. Um, we're also seeing, and uh, as you indicate, I'm an investigator, so we're also seeing and I see this in our case, case load as well, a shift from, uh, you know, regular systems to uh, data that's stored in the cloud in terms of uh, compromises. So we're seeing a lot more of that. Uh, for example, uh, within the PCI industry, we're seeing uh, the effect of EMVs, right, where we're seeing uh, less terminals uh, being compromised or at least skimmers you know, uh, being used to compromise state of data. But we're seeing... Uh, data being compromised uh, in the cloud and that's just because the, the industry is shifting to the cloud and that's where the data is Doesn't mean the cloud is any less secure Although we are seeing indications that folks really make sure they have those configurations in place uh, to protect that data But we're seeing a shift from uh, the terminals uh, to the cloud uh, in terms of that So that was probably another thing. It wasn't a big surprise. It's something we felt in our caseload um, of
0: I mean that would make some sense as well i think sort of the, the emv chip cards have really gained traction in the last couple of years so obviously the, the point of sale compromise is probably a lot more difficult these days um but i mean is you think that um, that growth in terms of the card not present fraud is it, it seems like it must be partly because of that bloom squeezing effect so again it's hard to compromise a chip card so they'll go to a point of less resistance but um do you think there's, there's, as a component of that also, we're seeing the growth in e-commerce and, and mobile commerce as well being a reason for that fraud increase there?
1: Absolutely, because that's where the data is going. Um, organizations are shifting uh, to the cloud more and more, and we're seeing that in not just the, the PCI cases. We're seeing that in uh, data breaches in general where we're, we're um, having to deal with uh, the cloud more and more. And that's, you know, something that we don't see as
0: slowing down. That's where the information is going to be stored. That's where threat actors are going to go and try to get it. Yeah, very good. So one of the other things that you touched on in the report is that ransomware is still a big issue. Um, I mean, the thing that surprised me here is is somewhat that ransomware is very easily solvable to some extent with, uh, with organizations being conscious to do regular backups and restores of their sensitive data. So, do you think um, companies are just not understanding this, or they think it's going to be happening to someone else?
1: I think it could be both, and I, and I think it's 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 really something that that is you've, you. you can't, there's just not one solution that's going to solve it. You've got to educate your end users to be on the lookout for those socially engineered emails that inevitably a lot of times lead to their ransomware. So you need to stop it before it happens, and that, that human element needs to be uh, sensitized to recognize uh, those socially engineered emails or perhaps going to those websites and and, and uh, noticing that there's something that's funny about those websites indicating that they were compromised and there might be malware that they're, that's just waiting to, uh, to be downloaded to their system. You also have to look at it from the standpoint of Yes, you need to still have those endpoint antivirus solutions in place to <coughs> catch uh, the known uh, ransomware or the indications of trojan job- droppers that may be a precursor to the ransomware. You also have to uh, make sure that you have your, your network segmented, you have your backups in place. The backups are, are, are something that can be uh, restored relatively quickly, relatively easy that they are segmented from your everyday network so that those backups don't get compromised. And you also have to make sure you sensitize folks to reports as soon as possible if they see an indication of ransomware, meaning the file server all of a sudden is showing uh, files with um, you know strange extensions or the the files are encrypted when they try to open them up or they see a pop-up warning banner. So the sooner that that's reported, the quicker that the instant responders can go ahead and address the issue. So ransomware, it's, it's, it's still popular. Um, it was popular last year in our data set. It's popular this year in our, our data set. Why? Well, it's because it works. And if you take a, a step back and look at it, especially, um, you know, my time on the team, we started seeing uh, trends like data for ransom, where uh, threat actors would come into organizations and steal the data and then contact the victim organization and hold that data for ransom. Then we started seeing the shift to ransomware. And if you think about it, Data doesn't have to leave the environment. The spread actor just encrypts your data in place and then holds it for ransom and requires you to pay to get back uh, to unencrypting to your data and using it. So we're seeing that trend where it's going, and if you want to take it one step further into cryptocurrency mining, um, they're not even, uh, they're, they're leveraging you know, the Bitcoins and whatnot, and they're not even having to steal data or interact with the data, they're just stealing cycles from the computer systems. Yeah. So we're seeing trends like that over the years, which are very interesting. You know, why, why take, why, why take the data if you don't have to yeah. encrypt it, hold it for ransom, or leverage uh, that payment uh, method, the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, and steal the cycles from the system? You don't have to steal anything
0: except for the cycles. You don't have to, you know, worry about uh, taking the data out of the. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting finding as well actually that i mean it, it, there's been a lot of noise about sort of crypto mining and crypto jacking uh in, in the media um but it's actually a very small percentage of actual ransomware attacks i mean it's really uh again probably not where the money is right now if i remember rightly i think Coinhive shut down not long ago because it wasn't you know it was providing the code for crypto mining things like that but it really just wasn't profitable enough so i'm wondering if that's that's yeah. a likely shift we're going to see that this is going to probably die out
1: very possible. Um,
0: I, I know we've we've had uh, some cases uh, recently,
1: um, but those tend to be not as as big and grand as you as you kind of see in the media. Um, we do have uh, ransomware cases that, that we still see from time to time, um, but those those are going to continue, I think, until uh, organizations take that basic hygiene and yeah, train their folks, uh, put those things in place, make sure they have backups uh, to restore any data that becomes encrypted.
0: Okay, I mean, in terms of I mean, we've spoken about ransomware, but in, in terms of some of the other threats here, I mean, what general threat mitigation steps does do, do you and Verizon recommend based on this year's report?
1: Well, uh, so generally speaking, it'd be uh, good security hygiene, you know, making sure that your, your your systems in the cloud, your your web servers are configured properly, right? Uh, making sure you have uh, asset and security baselines in place. Okay, so that'd probably be the one of the recommendations there. another is integrity making sure you patch 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 those applications patch the operating system, uh, code securely, and then also have file integrity monitoring in place to make sure that or, or to, to, to detect any potential changes uh, that, that may occur if there's a data breach uh, or within your environment. Uh, another thing this we've seen this for years is access making sure that you have, uh, two-factor or multi-factor authentication, not just a strong password, but you have something else uh, such as a token uh, that, that gives you that second factor, if not a third factor, uh, you know, something biometric in place to uh, really, really lock down that remote access to those systems. Another thing, too, is insiders, uh, identifying uh, who has access to your environment where your assets are and where your data is, who needs access to those assets and data, um, identifying your critical assets, and truly who really needs access to those critical assets, and then monitoring uh, those assets, monitoring those folks that have uh, the keys to the kingdom uh, so that you can identify uh, any insider-type issues within uh, your organization. And I think uh, probably another recommendation is awareness. monitoring your emails for uh, malicious attachments for for, for spear phishing campaigns but also training your end users to be aware of social engineering financial pretexting uh, the human element things that threat actors like to exploit uh, and making sure not not just your end users are trained but making sure your incident responders are trained to to recognize incidents that need to be addressed as quickly as possible because the faster you are at recognizing an incident, the quicker you can react to that incident, the better off you're going to be. So I think those are probably the, the biggest recommendations. Good basic hygiene, integrity, access, insider threat monitoring, and then security awareness in general.
0: Yeah, that's, that seems very, very comprehensive and, and pragmatic advice there. So thank you very much, John. And for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.